You know when Ben Roethlisberger hurts angle, he's always got one clown shoe on. Could you imagine him coming out looking like Krusty the Clown with two big clown feet on? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm Ben Roethlisberger. Blue lady. <laughs> Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into another edition of The Chop Shop. This week we're brought to you by Starbucks Triple Shot Energy Drink. Welcome into another edition of The Chop Shop. Trey Wingo and Mark Schlereth here. We're going to break down everything we saw week two of the NFL. And we use the word chop shop for a reason, because a chop shop is where you take a car apart and look at all the parts, what works and what doesn't. That's what we're doing here. And I guess, Stink, if that's the stated emphasis of the show, at some point, we need to start recording on the pre-show because your inability to get a microphone to work is fascinating and it's internet gold. It, it, it truly is. Speaking of chop shop, so if you were to ask me to lift the hood of an automobile because I needed to look what was wrong, the only thing I would look for is like an old light switch that has an on and off. And I'd be like, if the, the only thing that I could diagnose is if the light switch went to the off position. I would say, oh, Here's the problem. It's in the off position. I'm just going to flick it up to the on position. Let's go. Um, that's about my knowledge of that. And when it comes to the interweb and um, operating a microphone or a Bluetooth or uh, any tooth for that matter, uh, I am not uh, I'm not the guy you're looking for. It's truly remarkable. It's Thank all ball you. bearings these yes. days anyway, so I wouldn't worry about it. All right, so let's start chopping up a game that I think – I mean, you hate to say a week two sort of must-win scenario, but the Ravens really needed to beat the Chiefs, right? They they had been three and zero against the Chiefs, zero and three rather against the Chiefs in the Patrick Mahomes era, and they came into that game really banged up. I I, I have to say that felt like with the celebration Lamar had after the win on the on the fourth and one one where he got the first down to run out the clock. The celebration with him and Sammy Watkins that wasn't just a win. That was like somebody said this perfectly. I can't remember who it was. It's a rivalry now. It was Darius Butler, the former the former corner who does great work on his own podcast. Darius Butler said it's now a rivalry because before it was a hammer and a nail. Now the other team has won. It's kind of a rivalry now. Yeah, it certainly is. They do feel like the two teams that have kind of given us the most thrills over the last couple of years. You know, you have two MVP quarterbacks no in the league, uh, obviously in Mahomes and, and Lamar Jackson and. You know, it's always been one of these things, if the Ravens can learn to win come playoff time, when you're playing against better competition and better football teams, and can you really operate that offense, you know, that collegiate-style offense where it's all about running the ball and your quarterback running in the unique way that it's made up, but what happens when people shut that down? Or if you're behind by 10 points, the Ravens don't have the requisite skill set to overcome those things. And yet, that's exactly what we saw. We saw Lamar Jackson throw two interceptions, turn the ball over, them fall behind by, what, double digits, and then find a way to come back and win that football game. And let's face it, you know, everybody's looking for that formula. How do you beat the Kansas City Chiefs? How do you, how do, you do it? Oh and I don't know that there's any real formula, but um, just overcoming that and getting a regular season victory like they got it does feel like it almost, not that they needed to, to get affirmation, but it almost affirmed them as, hey, man, this could be a team that gets into the playoffs and wreaks havoc and maybe gets to a Super Bowl with an unconventional style of offense. 
Well, I'm glad you said that about did they figure out a way to beat the Chiefs because I've heard a lot of that over the over the last couple of days, and I'm here to say that's not a thing. Like the Ravens finished drives with touchdowns. Um, they played ball control. Um, they did almost everything you need to do to beat Kansas City. And if Clyde Edwards-Alaire doesn't fumble on second and three from the 32, they still probably True. lose. Which is my way of saying, I don't think there's a way to beat the Chiefs without scoring a lot of points. And they scored 36, and it might not have been – listen, I want to be clear. They won the game. They were the better team. They made fewer mistakes. They made the clutch plays when it mattered. But I don't look at that game and go, aha, that's how you beat the Chiefs. You have blown coverages for two long touchdowns where nobody's around any of the receivers. You get a, a fumble from Clyde Edwards-Alaire you know, with a, a minute left in the game when they're in field goal range. That's how you beat the Chiefs. That's not sustainable. I mean, I, I give the Ravens all the credit in the world. They deserve to win. I'm happy for them. I'm happy for Lamar. I'm happy for the city of Baltimore because they were so banged up. I mean, I did not see this outcome because of the team they were putting on the field. So you take a lot of confidence from that from Baltimore. But all those things went right, and they still almost lost, which I know is not a thing, but it, I don't want to hear this as this is how you beat the Chiefs because it's still – you play that game nine times out of ten in that situation, it wouldn't have been enough. So here's the interesting thing. Uh, Baltimore possessed it for 35 minutes, almost 36 minutes, 36 to 24. Yeah. That's a recipe, right? You have to be able to do that. Yes. And you st- – but you have to be able to score. Right. Like, they scored. Right. That was a thing. Like, I, I, people say play keep away. Well, that doesn't matter because you know quickly how quickly Mahomes and those guys. The most important thing that the Ravens did is they finished with sevens. That was the most important. Correct. Thing. But you have to possess the ball to beat the, the Kansas City. You just have to. You have to keep Mahomes off the field. It, it, but here's the thing. You know, where people start to count possessions and go, uh-oh, we only have two possessions. The, 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 the Kansas City Chiefs go, uh-oh, we only have two possessions. That means in the next two and a half minutes, we're going to have to score two touchdowns twice. You know, and pretty easy for us because we're that dynamic. Yeah. I, I really think it comes down to, and, and I'm going to enlighten you on something that I talked to a team in depth about that I'd never heard before. And go on. the statistic is this. You know how turnovers are such a telling statistic whether you win or lose. Get this. This team did an intense study on possessing the ball at the end of the first half. Just possessing the ball and not giving your opponent a a chance to touch the ball. And it's as much as having a plus one differential in the turnover battle in regards to winning the game. Just at the end of the first half. So if you get the ball with four minutes left at the end of the first half, if you possess the ball, you don't even have to score. You just possess it and go into halftime. You're going to win just like the same rate that you have a plus one turnover. So this one team, get this, they possessed the ball at the end of the first half 15 times one season. And in the in those 15 times that they possessed the ball and ended the half, either with a score or just end of the half with possession of the ball, they won 12 of 15 games. 12 of wow. 15 games. And the next year they had a bad team because of injuries, and and they won in that game. They had a below 500 record, and in that season they did the same thing eight times, and they won five of those eight games. 
and they were a, a well below 500 team. So it's that double up at the end of, you know, it's the double up when you come back out with position, but just possessing it. So to me, it's not only possessing the ball, but it's when you possess the ball against the Kansas City Chiefs. you got to possess it at the end of the first half and the end of the fourth quarter to make this work. Uh, here's why I find that fascinating if you go back to the Monday night game, because the Chiefs scored and they were going to get the ball back to start the second half, which means you get the double tap, mm-hmm. right? You score to end the first half and you score to start the second half. Well, what happened in between? Uh, Justin Tucker came down and kicked a field goal for the Ravens. Uh, right at the end of the half. So that that field goal, essentially at the end of the half, Mark, might have been the deciding factor in a 36-35 game. So I, that's very cool that you pointed that out. There's two other things I want to get on this game before, before we move on. Uh, number one, everyone was loving the Jim Harbaugh, uh, John Harbaugh, excuse me, Lamar, Lamar, you want to go for it on fourth and one and the trust and all that kind of stuff. And it was great and I loved it, but it was also theater, right? Because He's not asking a question he doesn't already know the answer to. And what player is going to say, no, punt it? Like, right? right. So while it was, it was a bit of great TV and drama and emotion, it showed a trust level between Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson. Before he opens his mouth, John Harbaugh knows Lamar is going to say yes. And if he had said no, he probably would have said go for it anyway. So, like, like let's just sort of demythologize that just a little bit maybe? I, I, will, I will say this, though. I was doing a game – in Seattle, where Baltimore just absolutely thunderstruck the Seahawks, just beat them down. This is 2019, I believe. And they were going to kick. They had a fourth and goal or whatever from the two-yard line. John sent out the, the, the field goal unit to kick, and Lamar came over to him and no, I've got this. I got this. And that's, I think, where it really started to become like this connection between quarterback and head coach to where, all right, I'll trust you. You're 100% right, though. You don't say, hey, man, do you yeah. want to do this? You be- No, nah, I really don't believe in myself. I uh, you know, I think I'm going to suck yeah. today, coach, so no. Yeah, you got a bunch of type A personality <laughs> guys that are all like, hell yeah, I'm the best thing that's ever, you know, I'm the greatest thing ever. Yeah, you know, I, I'm in. Yeah. All right, two other quick things here, and then we'll move on. We'll do this quickly. Uh, number one, obviously, a huge problem for the Chiefs is their defense, right? They've given up 36 and 29 in the first two weeks. That's not sustainable. No, I, but you know, if you look at the Chiefs the last couple of years, what's happened? They've been a bad defense early, right? I mean, they've been yeah. that's that's been yeah. their that that's kind of their modus operandi, and then all of a sudden, about week 20, 10 or so, week 11. They, they hey since week eleven they've been the best defense in football. It, it seems to make that flip yeah. every single year. We'll see if they can do that again. But right now, um, that could be the thing that really derails them. Yeah, there were a couple of blown coverages that led to one of those touches. I, those are fixable things. Even on the fourth and one, they weren't lined up correctly. Mm-hmm. Those are things you can fix. But if you're if you're the Chiefs, the one bright spot in all of this, which I think has been one of the biggest question marks for them, do they have a real number two? I thought Miko Harvin played a really good game because Tyreek Hill was non-existent. They they took him out, and they said, if you're going to beat us, it's going to be with Miko Hardman and Travis Kelsey and Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson. And that unit put up 20, and I know they had the pick six, but, I mean, that unit was effective enough. I thought that was the best thing going forward for the Chiefs that I think Miko Hardman established that he can be a number yeah, two. Yeah, we always joke around, uh, you know, there's a, what we call two stars defense, right? Two stars meaning yeah. we take your two stars and we double team both of them. Um, you know what happens? There's no such thing as there, there's nothing called three stars. You can't three star 
coverage. Like it just doesn't doesn't work. You can only take so many away. There are going to be one-on-ones out there. And if you've got a third guy in your receiving core that just can wreak havoc, you're going to be really tough to beat. Everyone thought the Chiefs would start 2-0 because that was the first loss for Mahomes in the month of September. We talked about that last week. There is are a couple of teams, actually, that are 2-0 uh, in the AFC West, uh, and they are the surprising ones. We'll, we'll talk about the Denver Broncos on a later date, but Stink, I, Derek Carr is looking like an MVP candidate. Now, he's a little banged up. Both ankles, apparently, uh, were rolled in that win over Pittsburgh, but he's thrown for over 800 yards and I think six touchdowns through the first two weeks. Derek Carr is looking like an MVP candidate early on in this season. There's no question. I, you know, it's always funny is when somebody has two rolled up ankles and my vision yeah. just goes to Ben Roethlisberger. You know, when Ben Roethlisberger hurts ankle, he's always got one clown shoe on. Could you imagine him coming out looking like Krusty <laughs> the Clown with two big clown feet on? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm Ben Roethlisberger. It's guys. But hey, Derek Carr, you're 100% right. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that is dialed in. And it's so funny, the national narrative, you know, because John Gruden has a wandering eye for quarterbacks and there's never been a quarterback he didn't like or didn't want over the guy he has. These two guys, when you get around them in in like those production meetings and stuff, there is so much affection between the two of them. You got to play well. But Derek Carr has been... Absolutely phenomenal. He's been that way for a while now. And I've looked at this team with the way they, you know, consistently put together a team that protects pretty well, at least runs the ball pretty well. Waller is an absolute freak show. I mean, he's a complete. Uh, incredible. Yeah, he is yeah. like George. He's George Kittleish to me in that he's a great receiver. But, man, that guy will do the dirty work. He's a willing participant in the ugly, nasty things that go on. They've developed a couple other receivers that they have great rapport for that they really like. Um, I, I like them, and defensively has been the question. And I'll tell you what they've done, because last year when you watched them under Paul Gunther, was their former defense coordinator that ended up getting let go, um, he took some marginal question, you know, some marginal draft picks and, and talent and he created this really complicated scheme because what they were doing is disguising everything. And half the time, you know, or more than half the time, they'd only really end up hurting themselves. Yep. And I feel like I feel like Gus Bradley taking over as the defense coordinator. If you know Gus, Gus is salt of the earth. He's one of the greatest Absolutely. guys ever. He is such a believer in keep it simple, stupid. We are going to play cover three match the entirety of the game. And my guy, if my guy's a hook dropper, he knows that he's going to be, you know, eight to ten yards deep, uh, two to three yards outside the hash. And you're going to sit down there. And then you can cheat it a little bit depending on down and distance. But, you know, my super buzz guy is going to have his back to the sideline. He's going to get just beyond the numbers and look back in. To, like He has it so coached up. And at the very least, if you get beat, you know, it's going to be you getting beat by a thousand paper cuts. And hopefully you're going to get there with uh, Max Crosby or somebody's going to make a big play to create a turnover, to create a stop. And that's what they've been doing. They've been playing, you know, really sound defense and giving themselves an opportunity, even though they're giving up points, to eventually make that one or two key critical stops 
that gives you an, a, a chance to turn it back over to your quarterback. And, and like you said, Derek Carr is playing lights-out football. And w- one thing on the Raiders I'll add before we move on is that you know they discovered that Henry Ruggs is part of the team again. Like that 61-yard touchdown, that was Henry Ruggs from Alabama. That was the guy that came into the draft. That was the guy who, what, 20% of his catches – in college went for touchdowns. So if they can play that kind of defense and take those kind of shots right. with Henry Ruggs uh, and still have Waller underneath, uh, the Raiders are going to be a really interesting this team to watch this year. This is where turnover on your roster matters and putting your roster together matters because yeah. that's what Aguilar, Aguilar is, uh, if I'm saying his name right. Aguilar? Nelson yeah, Aguilar? Yeah, Nelson Aguilar. Is, he's a lift-the-top-of-coverage, go-deep go guy. And so you have two of the same players that have two of the same skill sets, you know, and, and you're playing Nelson last year and you're trying to transition rugs into something else. Now all of a sudden, Aguilar goes off and, and does his thing. Where is he with uh, New England now, right? Yep, yep. And Ruggs takes over that spot that runs those particular routes really well and takes advantage of his skill set. And, and part of that is putting guys in positions. You know, there's a lot of coaches out there that just think it's about scheme, my scheme, my scheme, my scheme. And scheme is important, but what's more important is putting your uh, players in a position to win. You know, I, I always find it fascinating. Put your guy in a position to lose and then act surprised when he loses. Like, if that's not what his skill set is, like, you shouldn't be surprised. You're the dumbass that put him there. So I, th- I think they've, they've, you know, been able to make that move and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to open up this spot for you to run the things that you do best, and that's where he's going to thrive. Yeah, it, it's just been fun to see because we, we talked about it. The first three years of Gruden have been not great. So this is kind of a, a cool thing to see them coming through uh, early on in the season, and we'll see what the health concerns are with, with Carr for this week and going forward. You had an interesting observation on the Tennessee um, win over Seattle because, you know, the whole thing has been let Russ cook and even Pete Carroll after the week one win in Indianapolis. I can't believe I said that, blah, 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 blah. You suggested we need to let Russ simmer. Explain. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can get a uh, great uh, meal by uh, letting it simmer in a crock pot for eight hours, right? And the, and the chances yeah. of burning down your kitchen or burning your meal is pretty limited, right? Um, but, you know, you can you can cook it on high on the stove and you can start a grease fire for crying out loud and burn your meal. I like Russ is one of those guys that makes exceptional throws, exceptional plays, but he also put himself and his offense in harm's way by extending the play and taking more sacks than he probably should. And with an offensive yeah. line that has consistently given up a lot of sacks because of the way he plays, to me it's imperative that you run the ball. It's imperative that you play that style of offense and create explosives through the scheme with which you play as opposed to creating explosives through letting Russ run around and make plays up. And so I'm more of the let Russ simmer crowd. I think you need to be balanced in Seattle. I think you need to have some of that stuff. And yeah, Russ is incredible and he's exciting. But again, you know, when you physically don't match your opponent, you know what happens to you? You end up losing games to Tennessee like you did where, you know, King Henry has 189 yards rushing 
and and you're just relying on big plays. What happens when the big plays aren't there? What happens when coverages don't break down? What happens when you're throwing those leak throws back across the grain uh, to lock it and you don't complete them? He doesn't make a great catch. It, it just is hard. That's a that's a hard recipe for sustainability long term, especially come playoff time. To think. Hey, what we're going to do is we're not going to do anything except make a bunch of big plays. And we're just relying on four 70-yard touchdowns a game. And if we get that, we're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, Yeah. but the odds of you getting that on a week-to-week basis are pretty slim. So I just think there needs to be a little change in mentality the way they go about operating their offense. Uh, I don't disagree with you at all. And you mentioned Henry. You know, you could sort of see this game coming from him because twice last year he was held under 65 yards rushing. And each time last year he responded with a 200-yard rushing game. He had 230, I think, total yards. Uh, but he was an absolute dominant force in, in a second half. And what I respect about Mike Vrabel and company is when they fall behind early, they don't panic. They know what they have and they know who they are. And by not panicking and sticking to the offense, much in the same way you're talking about not just, you know, going off and doing whatever you want to do in terms of Seattle side by sticking with their offense that they know they do well, that allowed them to get back in that game, take it to overtime and win it. Yeah. I love the fact that, you know, you're down by 10 points in Tennessee and you're not, like you said, pushing the panic button. You're, you're maintaining and you're staying true to the philosophy that you've been preaching. And I really, I really appreciate that because I'm a big believer in, philosophical approach to what we do now sometimes you know you got to kick it to the curb when things just don't go well but for the most part there is comfort as a player in knowing you get into a situation and even before the play comes in from the sideline you know beyond the shadow of a doubt what it's going to be you know you know when I was in Denver we were a conversion team always converting and so if we got into a second yep. down and one situation, it wasn't a chance to take one deep down the field and see if we could convert, you know, see if we can make a big play or get a PI. It was about pounding the defense, hurting them, and converting that second down and one so we got four more downs. And and so you knew you got the second down and one situation, you knew what was coming in. You knew you're gonna play on one of three plays. You're gonna run 18-19, you're gonna run 14-15. And or more the most likely one, you're running quarterback sneak. And you're trying to wedge people and just pound the defense, move on, and let's keep going. And I love the identity aspect of Vrabel because he's like, this is who we are, this is how we win, um, and, and this is the way we're going to do it here. And if you're not on board, you don't have to play here. And, and I actually, I think from yep. a player's perspective, man, there's comfort in that, Trey. Absolutely is. So we'll see what happens with the Seattle going forward. One thing, the thing that Russell that makes him so appealing, he had another one, you know, those uh, touchdown passes of 20 plus air yards. He's got 59 now uh, since uh, I think uh, since 2016, double digits more than anybody else in terms of deep touchdown passes. That's why it becomes so alluring, but it can also at times be fool's gold. All right, why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, we'll talk about a team that won, but still shed some light on some potential real concerns for them down the road. We'll get to that after this on the Chop Shop. So week two of the football season is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly 
when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen, because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any one game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. Sportsbook's not yet available in your state. DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code WINGO to receive $150 worth of free bets when you place a dollar bet on any football game. That's promo code WINGO. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions obviously do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Back on the Chop Shop for Week 2. Trey Wingo talking to my longtime friend and uh, longtime NFL player and now does a great job calling games for Fox, Mark Schlereth. Cowboys won on the road against uh, the L.A. Chargers. Pretty impressive. It was the home opener for uh, Brandon Staley, Justin Herbert, and, and the Chargers after a very good win week one on the road. So the Cowboys go in there and win 20-17, to 17, and they do it with the resurgence of the running game. And, you know, the Dak, this is the first time in three road games that Dak didn't throw for 400 yards. He barely threw for over 200, 237. But, Mark, the Cowboys played well enough to win. It was great. They needed to win. They got it. But I think what happened in that game shows a larger concern for the Dallas Cowboys on a couple of fronts. They got the running game going, just not with the guy they paid all the money to. Tony Pollard ran for 109 yards on 13 carries and a touchdown, 8.4 yards. Zeke Elliott had 16 carries, had 71 yards, 4.4 yards per carry and a touchdown. Very productive day on the ground. The way the Chargers played defense, you knew that that was the way they were going to attack because of the, of the setup that they had. But it just shows you, again, I don't understand why the Cowboys gave the contract they gave Zeke Elliott. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say this. Zeke's a pounder, and oftentimes when you get a guy like that, yeah, you're going to get all good. You're going to get rotation. You're going to get more eight-man fronts. You're going to get some of those things that are going to happen to you. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with 4.4 yards carry and being nasty and no, physically good. turning people on. But, you know, when it starts coming down to how much do we pay this guy and how much of uh, how, what percentage of our cap does he take up? And especially in today's age, when you can, you know, you usually can find yourself a big time running back uh, in the second or third round that, that develops and becomes great health. Six rounders. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's just a different position in any more. There are very few bell cows, other than other than uh, King Henry in Derek Tennessee. Henry. Like who else? Who else does it? Well, da- Dalvin Cook would be that, and Christian McCaffrey would be that, but they do it differently, right? right? They do it differently because there's such threats. There's such threats in the passing game. And again, I, the Cowboys won a very good. That was a good yes. win for them. Um, I, I want to be clear about that. But I just, I, I just don't understand why they did what they did with that contract because Pollard was there when they gave him the contract. You know, and the, the offense was transitioning to go through Dak when they gave him the contract. I will say this about this game. It was another classic example of two guys or two franchises trying to find ways to lose. Like the Chargers were completely undisciplined in that game. And the Cowboys, look, I don't know why Mike McCarthy lets Bones Fossil talk him into all these. Like, there were a couple things in that game. It was a fourth and 20, like right before the half. And all they uh, and all they had to do was not 
personal foul the kicker. You could run right. into him, but you know, uh, don't don't run into him. You know, there's the five yeah. yard and the fifteen yarder, which is an automatic first down. So they went on an all out blitz. Like, no, it's fourth and twenty, man. Just take the ball. And they got the penalty. It was fifteen yards, even though it was fourth and twenty, because it was a personal foul running into the kicker. Automatic first down, or not not running, roughing the kicker. And there was another time they went for it on fourth and five right around midfield. I get it. I appreciate how confidence in your offense. We just talked about it with Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh. That was a fourth and one against a terrible defense uh, in the Kansas City Chiefs. Fourth and five from midfield seems like a really curious time to figure out, nah, we'll, we'll just go for it here. Those things are a little frustrating to me if you watch the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, you know, I always say this, Charger going to Charger. Um, they just find a way. Chargers find a way to do things that you just go, why, why would you do yeah. that? And you're right about the Cowboys. Yeah. And part of it is, you know, I, I get the confidence aspect of that, but you also have to be, you know, you also have to be um, diligent when it comes to um, down and distance, where you're playing from. Can you pin somebody back? You know, there's a saying in the NFL yeah. that the way guys punt today from the 50, you pin them inside the five-yard line and you make them punt. You, that's an automatic three points for you. And so when yep. you start playing the field position game and flipping the field and start understanding those things, those things become really important. The The margins in the National Football League are razor thin. The difference between winning a game and losing a game is razor thin. And those decisions are the decisions that end up costing you razor thin margins or razor thin wins and, and, and losses. So I, I'm with you. Both of those franchises just seem to make it just seem to make it harder on themselves, you know? You know, there's a old there's old saying, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. And sometimes yeah. the reason is you're a dumbass, right? I mean that's sometimes <laughs> that's why. Right? So I mean you, like I sometimes I look at those things and go, why why would you do that here? Like uh, why would you do that? I always kind of use the what would Belichick do principle, you know? And in that Correct. situation, you know, he quick kick it, pin you down deep, and um, and see what comes. You know, see what happens. Yeah, real quickly before we move on, the other thing, if you're a Cowboys fan, very optimistic about Micah Parsons. You know, by Ooh. need, because of the injuries on defensive end, they moved him from a linebacker to playing uh, defensive end. He had four quarterback hits and a sack on Justin Herbert. He led all edge rushers in pass rush win rate. Listen, they found a they found a dude in yeah. Micah Parsons. I, I think Cowboy fans found a guy that is going to be very versatile for them and going to be able to play a lot of positions on defense for them. Which is awesome. Anytime you have that duality, I always go back to kind of the New England Patriots back in the day when they had Willie McGinnis yep. and Teddy Bruschi and Mike Vrabel and even Roman Pfeiffer and and uh, and it was really hard playing against those guys. Because as an offensive player, I want to rule. Like, I want to know who's the four downs, who's the mic, what are we doing, you know, how are we calling this, right? And then they'd all mill around, and you'd be like, well, Bruce can play D-end. Bruce can play middle yep. linebacker. Play D-end in college. Right. Yep. You go, Vrabel, uh, Vrabel can play D-end rusher. He can play middle linebacker. McGinnis can play up and down the line of scrimmage. Like, so you always had to go, okay, what, what are they in? And it made it hard to identify when you've got a guy like Parsons – and I was shocked, man. When I'm watching the game, I'm like, damn, that's the kid they signed to be a middle linebacker who is just absolutely putting a clinic, pass rush clinic on. I mean, I was shocked, Trey. He looked like a natural edge rusher. 
And it was it He's was pretty impressive. Big dividends for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Who else has been impressive is the team that's 2-0 in the NFC South. And I'm not talking about the defending Super Bowl champions, although they're pretty impressive through their first two weeks. I'm talking about the Carolina Panthers. I get it, it was the Jets week one, Sam Darnold revenge game. But they absolutely took it to a Saints team that had maybe the most impressive win of week one. Now, there's a caveat here, which I totally understand. Sean Payton's staff was devastated uh, by COVID tests and regulations. So I think they were missing eight coaches on the sidelines. Um, you know, we, we've seen other teams have to do Kevin Stefanski missed, had to miss a game last year for the Cleveland Browns uh, as their head coach. And I, that certainly takes into consideration. But what Matt Rule and that coaching staff are doing in Carolina, I think is really, really impressive because they're 2-0 and and they're winning with their defense, Mark. Uh, you know, the 2020 draft, Carolina took nothing but defensive players the entire draft. I think that's the first time that's ever happened in the common draft era. And they took a couple of offensive players this year's draft, but it was also heavily dominant on the defensive side. And you have Joe Brady, the young offensive coordinator who came over after LSU, set all kinds of records with one of the greatest seasons in college football, if not the greatest season in college football when the Tigers uh, won the championship. But he also brought over a name that not many people know, and that's Phil Snow, who was with him at Baylor. And Phil actually preceded uh, Matt Rule at Baylor. He was uh, with the Art Bryles coaching staff. And what Phil Snow has done with all that talent, I mean, they turned Jameis Winston of 2021 back into 2019 Jameis Winston with pressure in his face. And he threw up a couple of bombs that you just never – that was old Jameis. They made old Jameis resurface on defense. And I think what Matt Rule and that coaching staff is doing – is really interesting in a very competitive division. One of the things I found really intriguing about Matt Rule, sitting down with him a couple times last year, was he is one of those guys that, one, builds relationships with people, with his players and with his coaches. Um, He's big on that. Well, he builds. I mean, that's his thing. He builds. Everywhere he goes, he builds. Teams and relationships. The other thing about him it was interesting talking to him because he'll get introspective and tell you all the things that he has learned and all the things that he didn't realize and didn't know. And there's a, there's a humility about that, that I think generally makes you gravitate toward him, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player or, you know, a, a broadcaster like me, like I appreciate the fact that you don't just throw out the false bravado, right? That you come out there and say, man, this shocked me, and and I didn't realize this, but now that I'm thinking about it, this is a direction I have to go. You mentioned Phil Snow. Now he he plays that you know collegiate three three five defense, but they give you so many looks that are so hard for you as an offense to designate. How do I want to protect this? And it all comes down. To the first thing you have to do as an NFL team in a passing league is you better have your protection dialed in. But they give you so many looks that it's hard to figure that out. And they have one of the most unique players who I thought should have been the rookie of the year last year in Jeremy Chin. Yeah. Jeremy Chin plays free safety, strong safety, nickel corner, outside linebacker in dime, and rush defensive end. Do you know this? And it's the only time I've ever heard this. In any production meeting I've ever been in, anywhere I've ever been, Jeremy Chin. So you go to your team meeting, right? 
and you all have a team meeting and we talk about, you know, what is our goal for this week? What do we accomplish? How do we look? Blah, 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 blah. And then the coach goes, okay, break it up with your individual meetings. So the O-line goes to their meeting room. The D-line goes to their meeting room. The linebackers in the, in the, in the uh, you know, secondary goes to their room. You know what G- Jeremy Chin does? He goes upstairs to a he goes co- all of no. Them. He goes upstairs to a coach's office and they sit one on one because he plays five or six different distinct positions. Yeah. So he doesn't have any one meeting he goes to. He has one coach that coaches him in all five situations that he's in. Trey, he's the only That's person. Amazing. He's the only person I've ever heard of in twelve years of playing and twenty one years of broadcasting that doesn't go to a position meeting. It's it's fascinating the level of the level that they put on Jeremy Chin, the level of intelligence and the level of of uh, you know whatever a responsibility that they put on Jeremy Chin is like nothing I've ever heard. And so all of a sudden, how do you designate? All right, I got three down linemen, but two of them like might be linebackers. I got a linebacker is my fourth. But Jeremy Chin could be playing nickel, he could play D-end, or he could play linebacker. So how do I designate if we've got turn protection one way? Which three guys are we turning to? Which guy does the back have? Like, this is this is mental gymnastics between the quarterback and the offensive line and your running backs and your tight ends on who the hell you're going to pick up in this defense. And as janky as it can be, because it's so collegiate, it's really hard. And when they're dialed together like they've got them, and Phil Snow is an interesting cat. Um, so far, they have looked like they've looked like world beaters right now, and it's a really cool thing to see. Yeah, uh, best way to describe Jeremy Chin is he's uh, he's the Derwin James that you you don't know about yet in terms of his versatility, but That's you will call. very soon. That's great continues call. to play, continues to play the way he does. This just in, rookie quarterbacks don't do well against Bill Belichick, and Zach Wilson was no exception. You know, I hear people already, oh, he's a disaster. He threw four interceptions in that game. He threw three all at BYU last year. Your rookie quarterbacks are going to struggle. I mean, they're 6-21 and 21 or 6-22 and 22 against Bill Belichick. But there were a couple of throws in there that, in that game that just weren't great. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, run Zach Wilson out of the league because he struggled against Bill Belichick. But – they're 0-2, and maybe the hype train needs to calm down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Zach Wilson's got great potential. You know, he made a couple of bad decisions trying to not just avoiding what the defense was giving him. You know, you know Bill Bill yeah. Belichick was going, "Hey, listen, man, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the drag throw. I'm going to give you the flat. Go ahead, take it. We're going to tackle yeah. you. You're going to get four yards, or we can entice you to throw the, you know, the the crossing the deep cross route um and you may get 22 but we're gonna have people on it and it's gonna tipped up picked off and and that's kind of you know baiting somebody into doing more than their job and and that's where bill belichick does his best work and so um i've seen a lot of really good things from zach wilson and i've just seen a lot of really bad decisions and that's part of being a young player at any position and you know he certainly has to clean those things up i'll tell you the guy of all these rookie quarterbacks, who to me has been by far the most impressive guy, is Mac Jones. Yeah, and no question. And I'm telling you, it's not only it's it's it, it's a very listen. I, this is easy to say because of where he plays, and they're not asking him to do a lot. 
it's very reminiscent of how the Patriots won with Bill with uh, Tom Brady early in his career. And I people are like, what are you talking about? He's the greatest of all time. He is now. When he got started, he was not that guy, and they very much controlled him until he became right. that. And I'm I'm not saying Mac's going to become that, but the career path is starting for these two very similarly. So here's what I here's what I see on film because I have New England this week, so I'm watching the film of him. Um, understanding where all five eligibles are all, at all times. So you can look front side. Yeah. You don't like the front side. You can get back side. You don't like the back side. You know exactly where your check down is. And you've got that clock in your head that manages you that says, man, it's time to get my check down. And I'll take it. Um, there was a play where he had a, a shallow and a deep route on a boot keep. And he chose, uh, no, it was, a, it was a trick play. He yeah. he hands it off on a, a um, on like a, a orbit motion, it, and, the, the res- and the running back throws it back to him, and instead of taking the deep shot, he went underneath to the easy gain of thirteen. Yeah, yards. and he takes the he takes the easy. Yeah. The other thing I he took the problem. right. The other thing I loved about him, Trey, is the different, like the the different arm speeds. He's like a pitcher, man. He'll throw a change up when it's short and easy, bam. All of a sudden he'll throw a, you know, he'll throw kind of a the EFIS pitch, you know, over the linebackers. This is the looper over the linebacker. And then when he needs to rip one man, he can rip it. And like a lot of young quarterbacks just want to show off their arm talent. Like, you know, like a, it's a young flamethrower. And all he wants to do is come in and throw a hundred. Well, if you throw a hundred enough times, you know, a big league hitter can time up a 747 if you give him three hacks. You've got to change your speed. You know, you got to change things. And I think he's been exceptional with his ability to to change of direction and change of speed on his throws. I just think it's been I think it's been so cool to watch him layer throws and and have that just almost innate instinctual ability to be accurate and, and to change what he's doing. Yeah, and I think we'll wrap it up with one other point. Um, you know. Uh, Matt Nagy said uh, earlier this week already that when healthy, Andy Dalton is going to be a starting quarterback. And if I was Matt Nagy, I might have said, you guys trust me a little bit here because they were all clamoring for Justin Fields uh, in Chicago. He needs to be the starter for the Bears. Well, he was 6 of 13 for 60 yards with an awful interception, was sacked twice, and had a QBR. Look, passer rating QBR, they're both sort of weird stats. I use QBR better because it's easier to put in contact because it goes 0 to 100. He had a QBR of 4.4. While Andy Dalton had a QBR in that game of 81.0. The point being, for everybody clamoring for Justin Fields, and I believe he still has the potential to be a good quarterback, he's not there yet. Yeah. And I think we saw a lot of that Sunday against the Bengals. Yeah, 100%, Trey. And some of these young quarterbacks, I mean, they all develop at different levels, right? And just because you're a yeah. great athlete, I'm talking to Kyle Shanahan this weekend as I was doing, you know, I was doing the San Francisco game. And he said, hey, clearly Jimmy Garoppolo is our starter. Clearly, Trey Lance is a backup. Yeah, we'll have a package for Trey Lance, and he'll get in occasionally, and you know, and, and we'll keep growing that package. But unless injury happens, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo right now, as they're currently constructed, is our starting quarterback. And Trey Lance didn't even get in the game against Philadelphia because their front seven is so tough to contend with. So, like, yep. this is the reality. You know, we want to like we love because hope sells, right? We can sell hope. Sure. And we sell hope in the future and, and sell hope in athleticism and sell hope in all that stuff. Man, there's a development process that we tend to forget about 
um, in this league because we're instant gratification, you know, fan bases. And he's right. Andy Dalton's a better quarterback right now. 